0: The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Good morning. Well, I think I'm officially a resident of Paso now because I've been to my first Pioneer Day parade. Although I must confess, we didn't stay till the the end. Um, it, It... that, that is a long parade, <laughs> but, but it is fun, uh, nevertheless, to, to be here for that and to, to be a part of this town, and uh, I'm very excited that in the next couple days, this will also become the town for Michael Hinton, our new youth director. I'm excited for all of you to get to know him and for what he is going to do um, for our youth ministry here, which we just couldn't be more thrilled. And uh, so really encourage you, if you have students, uh, to have them go to that Fields of Faith event this week on Wednesday so that they can get to meet him and hear Theater 3 and all the other great stuff that will be happening there. See one of our mission partners in action and Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's just going to be a great night. Well, over the past few years, my sons, Joey and Michael, have really gotten into archery. Uh, They have their own bows. They have gotten bow hunting lessons from a family friend in Idaho. And now it's not uncommon, in fact, they did this last night, for them to head out um, in the final hours of daylight with their bows and uh, to shoot at anything that they can find in the backyard to shoot at. Um, I've given them strict instructions not to shoot at the deer that go walking by, uh, frequently by our back fence, um, and so far they've, they've followed that instruction, uh, but they have not, all the other little small animals that go through our backyard have not maybe been quite as lucky. Case in points. Uh, Joey, uh, not too long ago, uh, was uh, pulling back. He gave me permission to share this story, by the way. Um, he was aiming at one of the trunks of one of our trees in the backyard, which I wasn't crazy about in the first place, but that's another story. Um, as, as he was aiming at the tree trunk, however, a little lizard, just a small lizard about this big, um, crawled into his line of sight. And he released the bowstring and shot the arrow, and he hit that lizard right in the back from 20 feet away, um, which I think is an, an incredible shot <laughs> that, that Legolas would be proud of. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. Um, now, he claims to this day that it, it was an accident, that the lizard just happened to crawl out into where he was shooting. But I'm not so sure about that. Um, he'll be here next service, and we'll put the, kind of the fire on him to see if, if that was true or not. Um, but I, I think maybe when that lizard crawled out that that became his new target. Well, archers know that in order to have success at their craft, they need to first identify their target and then take aim at that target. And they need to do both of those things before they shoot their arrow or else they're not going to be very good at it. Whether they're hunting or competing in the Olympics or just shooting at whatever moves in the backyard, um, they have to figure out what their target is and focus on that target and block out all the distractions. Now, many leaders will tell you that this same principle can be carried into our lives, that they'll tell you the value of picking that target, that goal, that thing that you're shooting for, and then pursuing that and focusing on that and blocking everything else out. The late Zig Ziglar once said that if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. (laughs) It's important to know what you're aiming for. But I want to suggest that most of us, whether we realize it or not, are already aiming at something with our life. Maybe we haven't even recognized it. But, but we're all aiming at something. Maybe your target is physical perfection, and so you spend all of your time aiming at improving your appearance. Or maybe your target is great wealth, and so you spend all of your time aiming at financial gain. Maybe your target is popularity, so you spend all of your time aiming at improving your social standing. What target are you aiming at? Well, our passage today is going to show us that when we make Christ our cornerstone, that we get a new target in our lives. We've been we just started this series last week called Cornerstone, we're going through the book of First Peter, and we're talking about what a life looks like when it's built upon Christ as the cornerstone. We're gonna pick it up halfway today through the first chapter in First Peter and we're going to see what he has to say about our aim once we make Christ the thing that we build our lives upon. So let's pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. Therefore, Peter writes, "Prepare your minds for action, discipline yourselves, set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed." Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you invoke as Father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during your time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. And then moving forward to just the very beginning of chapter two, continuing on that same thought, rid yourselves therefore of all malice and all guile Insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is God's word for us this morning. And God's word today reveals to us that when we make Christ our cornerstone, we have this new target, the target of holiness. Peter quotes from the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, and it says many times that God says to his people, be holy, for I am holy. But holiness is an imposing standard, isn't it? It, It's a hard thing to target and to reach for. The word literally means to be set apart or to be completely separated from anything that is evil or corrupt or wrong. It means to be completely pure and take on the character of God. Can anybody here today say, oh yeah, I've done that 100% all the time throughout my entire life. Yeah, neither can I. (laughs) The good news, there is good news that Christ covers a multitude of wrongs. That every time we fall short of that perfect standard, his blood is able to cover us. So, I'm not preaching today in order to make you feel shame for all of your unholy ways in your life. I'm preaching today in order to reveal what God's desire for all of us is this holiness. By the way, shame does not come from God. Shame is a tool that our enemy uses to cripple us, to have us talk to ourselves in our heads and say, You're not good enough. You will never add up. You're a fraud. So why even try? Christ died to take our shame and he can cover all of our shortcomings. So it can be said that holiness is both a condition and a process. It's the condition, the spiritual condition of everybody who puts their faith in Christ. He makes us holy, not according to what we have done, but according to what he has done for us. But holiness is also a process. It's a process of aligning our hearts and our thought life and our actions with the spiritual condition that Jesus has already given us. Because we do not always live up to that standard of holiness as we've already established. You know, our spiritual condition does not come cheaply to us. Uh, Peter Said in that passage, you know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. In Peter's world, ransom was was the price that was paid to release a slave from bondage. And here he uses that, that same term and that same concept to talk about what Christ has done for us. He's released us from bondage, as he says, from the futile ways of living. And he emphasizes that that ransom price was costly. It cost Jesus his life, way more valuable than any gift of gold or silver. And you know, it can be easy for us to take that for granted, to look at the gift that Jesus has given us and just kind of discount it and not realize how huge it is. Christ has taken all of our filthiness. He's washed it away. He has made us holy, even though we don't deserve it. And Peter here is saying, live in accordance with that gift that you've been given. Seek to grow more and more like Christ every day of your lives It's a process that will last our entire lifetime, and we will not complete it in this lifetime. We will not achieve perfection. But it's important to engage in it anyway, because hope in Christ calls us to a new kind of life. Do not be conformed, Peter says, to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance, Now imagine there's a young man who, let's say, has dated a lot of women in his life. But last year, he met a woman, the woman of his dreams, the woman he wants to spend the rest of his life with, and so he recently proposed to her, and she said yes. Now how would it go over if that man didn't change the way that he had lived up until that point? How would, go, how would it go over if he just kept dating a lot of women all at the same time, even while being engaged and even while being married? Wouldn't go over so well, would it? This man's new relationship and his new commitment has called him to a different kind of life. It's called him to step out and no longer conform to the way that he used to live The same thing happens when we put our faith in Christ. When we make Christ our cornerstone, he wants us to change. He'll want us to grow. He'll ask us not to conform to the way that we used to live before we put our hope and our trust in him. But here's the thing. When we do that, Christ leads us on a path that will always lead to wholeness. It'll always lead to health. And so it's worth it. The fancy church word that we use for the process of growing in holiness is sanctification. Have you ever heard a preacher ask, have you been sanctified? Have you ever wondered what that means? (laughs) Well, that word sanctification means to grow in holiness. And I recently came across a story that helps to illustrate what that process looks like. There was there was once a woman who made an appointment to go watch a silversmith work. And she didn't tell him why she came, but, but the reality was she, she had read God's word many times and she had seen in a number of places a reference to the refining of gold and silver and how it was used as a metaphor. And she wanted to understand that better. So she went and she watched the silversmith and, and the silversmith put a piece of silver into the flame. And he said um, that the silver needed to be put in the hottest part of the flame in order to be purified. And the woman, she sat and she watched and she she said, so do you you have to hold it the whole time? And, And the silversmith said, not only do I have to hold it the whole time, I have to watch it intently because if I leave it in there too long, it can destroy the silver. And she sat there a little bit longer and watched him work and finally said, how do you know when that silver has been refined? And the, the man replied and he said, well, that's easy. I know when it's been refined because I can see my image in it. This story illustrates beautifully, I think, many principles about the process of growing in holiness, of being refined. First, It can be painful at times. The silver had to be placed in the fire in order to have those impurities burned away. Same thing is true for us most of the time. We rarely grow when things are going well for us. Usually the greatest times of growth come when we have been placed in a fire, the fire of trial or pain or discouragement or discomfort. As it says in in James 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. That's counterintuitive because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you're going through a fire right now, ask this question, how might God want to refine me In the midst of this trial. The second thing that this story teaches us about the process uh, of growing and, and being refined is that God is always attentive to us in the process. The silversmith had to had to hold on to and watch that silver as it was being refined. And one of the great stories in the Old Testament is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Three companions of Daniel who were placed into a fiery furnace by the king of Babylon because they would not bow down to a 90-foot tall golden statue that that king had placed up and commanded that everybody bow down to. Three men went into the furnace, but when the king looked at them in there, he leapt to his feet because he said, wait, didn't we throw three guys in there? I see four, and the fourth one is really shiny. (laughs) What a great picture of God's activity in our world. That God is with us through the fire. Now, I can pretty much guarantee you that God will not make himself as visibly present to you in that circumstance as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. That was a special circumstance but we can know that God is with us while he's refining us and while he's helping us to grow. Third, the story illustrates that as we grow in holiness, it will enable us to reflect God's character better. As as the silversmith said, he knows that the silver has been refined when he can see his image in it. And likewise, when, when, when we allow God to refine us, it allows his character to shine through in us, for us to reflect who he is to others. When we allow God to do this, our faith can become much more attractive to a watching world. So there is a missional aspect to growing in holiness. Uh, It it helps others to see God in and through us. It helps us to accomplish our mission. Conversely, when we don't allow God to refine us, uh, then there is nothing that is more repellent to the world than Christians behaving badly. So, holiness points others to Christ. It's attractive. But please don't mistake self righteousness for holiness. They are not the same thing. Self righteousness does not point people to Christ. Self-righteousness is the disease where I think I'm better than you because I think I perform and behave better than you in life. It's false holiness, and it repels people. Our greatest testimony comes when we pursue holiness in humility. So hope in Christ calls us to set our aim at this new target. It calls us to aim for holiness. We will never hit that target on our own, but we aim for it nonetheless, trusting that Christ will provide all that we need uh, for all of our shortcomings. I want to talk about uh, the last part of our scripture reading today before we close Uh, because it gives two great instructions, imperatives for people who are trying, that are wanting to live that life and, and growing in that process of holiness the first imperative, the first instruction that it gives us is this, love deeply. There is a real strong connection between love and holiness. If you asked me to describe God with just two words, and I could only use two words, I would either say that God is loving holiness or that God is holy love. Wouldn't it be great if God's church could be described in the same way. The call to love is one of the hardest commands in all of Scripture to uphold because it means loving difficult people. It means loving that person that did that thing all those years ago and you haven't spoken to them since. It means loving the person whose appearance just appalls you and you don't want anything to do with them. It means... That loving that individual whose public persona is like nails on the chalkboard to you. It means loving the person who attends church here at Highlands, but you always make sure that you attend a different service than that person does so you don't have to cross paths. It means loving the person who is always outspoken about their political beliefs, especially in the midst of this government shutdown and their beliefs are completely opposed to your own. It means loving all sorts of other difficult people. And and Peter goes on in in chapter two, he he talks about what I would call five love-spoiling vices, things that lead us away from love and lead us away from holiness. The first is malice or the desire to harm somebody else. The next is guile, which could also be translated as deceit. And that's when we deliberately try to mislead somebody. The third love-spoiling vice is insincerity. Uh, Interestingly, the, the Greek word that we translate here in the original text is the word hypocrisis, which is the word that we get hypocrisy from. This is a kind of deceit where we try to pretend that we are something or someone that we are not. The fourth love-spoiling vice listed is envy, longing for what other people have, and that is a quick way to tear apart a relationship, is to become envious of them. And the fifth is slander, meaning to speak evil of somebody else. When we choose to love and to put these things aside, we find ourselves growing in holiness, and reflecting the character of God to a watching world. And then finally this morning, the the second instruction that Peter gave to people who are aiming at holiness in their life. He says this, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. As a baby longs to be fed, so we are called to, to long to be fed and to be nourished by God's word. But how can I convince you to do this? (laughs) If you've been here uh, regularly, you've already heard me talk about how important it is to read God's word. You'll hear me say it a hundred more times as you continue to come to Highlands. Um, But sometimes I feel like, well, Brian McLaren describes how I feel. Um, He talks about feeling uh, as a pastor like a matchmaker that's not doing a very good job. He says, I love the Bible, and I want those I serve to learn to love the Bible too, but sometimes I feel like a guy trying to hook up a buddy with a girl I know, but the, but the introduction isn't going so well. I know how he feels. I love the Bible, and I want everybody to love the Bible too, and I want you, I want you to see the potential in this relationship that you could have. But there are aspects of the Bible that are hard to understand, and you go, where do I start? And the, there are culturally conditioned languages and stories in it, and there are these long genealogies that, that I don't know how they fit into everything, a, a lay person might say. Um, and there are passages that leave you just scratching your head saying, really, that's in the Bible? How did that get in there? But for all the difficulties that we might have all these years later reading uh, these, these works from the ancient world, it's worth it to jump in. I want to encourage you to do it anyway, because God speaks uniquely through these pages. He reveals his word to us. He reveals his desires for us, his character for us, and he does it through messy human beings and their stories that we read about in scripture. And so you find people in those genealogies that you go, that person never should have been a part of God's people. But God used that imperfect person anyway. And it's amazing. So when you come to a spot in scripture and you're like, I don't know what this means, don't give up. Keep reading. Seek deeper understanding. Talk to somebody who's gone before you that's that's read more and understood more. Uh, Continue to read. Continue to grow. Ask God to reveal himself to you. So in closing this morning, I just want to say this. When we begin to realize who God is, that he is holy, and all that he has done for us, that he has made us holy even though we don't deserve it, then we can begin to build our lives on that cornerstone and look at him and say, I want to pursue holiness myself. I want to grow in holiness, characterized by love for other people, and hunger for his word. We will never hit that target on our own, but we pursue it anyway, knowing that God's grace will cover a multitude of wrongs. Please bow and pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are good. We say that frequently, but do we really know what it means? that you are good. You're 100% pure. You are 100% right. Your actions are always the best, even when we don't understand them. Lord, help us to pursue you and in pursuing you to pursue holiness in our own lives, but not to rely on ourselves or to to fall into the trap of false holiness, but the kinds that... Reflects your goodness to others. Lord, may you be our cornerstone. May you be our hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church. Helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.